Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 1.1 Temples of Stone. Welcome to 21, everybody. We begin our journey through the wonders of the ancient world in perhaps the most obvious place, Egypt. The kingdom of Egypt lasted from as early as about 3200 BC with the unification of Upper and Lower Egypt to the fall of Cleopatra and her Roman ally Mark Antony in 30 BC. That's more than 3,000 years of Egyptian civilization. Egypt will be our most visited place on this show, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We will start in the year 1220 BC. The new kingdom of Egypt is at the height of its power. Its borders stretch all the way from northern Sudan in the south, all the way up to modern-day Turkey in the north. The new kingdom of Egypt controlled the entire eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Pharaoh Ramses II has brought Egypt back to a place of glory and power to rival that of the pharaohs of old. He reigned for more than 60 years, fought numerous wars, and constructed numerous public works. As such, he is often considered to be one of Egypt's greatest pharaohs. But by far his most impressive work, and the crowning jewel of his reign, is the first wonder on our list, the Temple Complex of Abu Simbel. The Temple Complex at Abu Simbel, which from now on I'm just going to call Abu Simbel for simplicity's sake, are far from the top of the list in most people's minds when it comes to the wonders of the ancient world, which is rather surprising as they are some of the largest and oldest structures to still be standing today. Built by order of Ramses II during the Third Dynasty of the New Kingdom of Egypt, Abu Simbel still stands today as a beacon of Egyptian power and piety. However, exactly when he built Abu Simbel is a little unclear to us today. The reason for this confusion is some cloudiness surrounding the date of Ramses II's ascension to the Egyptian throne. Sadly, this is the hardest part about studying ancient history. We just have very few records or writings of any kind that have survived for us to use today as sources. However, this doesn't mean that we don't have any We do know that it took Ramses II about 20 years to build Abu Simbel. And based on other important events in the life of Ramses II, which we do have some record of, historians agree that the temple complex was built between 1244 to 1224 BC. The reason it took 20 years to build is because the entire temple complex was carved out of a cliff face on the western side of the Nile, close to Numidia, which is modern-day Sudan. Not a single outside stone that we know of was used in the construction of the temples. The decision to build such a massive temple complex so close to his southern border was perhaps threefold for Ramses II. First off, it was a demonstration of his power and of his conquests. By building such a magnificent structure so close to his borders, Ramses II was perhaps boasting about the strength of his kingdom and of his army. It was essentially a taunt to the Nubians, longtime enemies of the Egyptians, that there was nothing they could do about the construction of or the worship at these great temples. 
But it wasn't just the Nubians that this message was sent to. It was also a message to the rest of the Mesopotamian world that his borders were secure, and he could do whatever he wanted inside of them. Perhaps a second reason was that there are no mountains in northern Egypt. The northern part of his kingdom was mostly flat and desert. But the further south you go, you begin to approach the hills and mountains in modern-day Sudan, and the much-needed live stone to carve the temples from. But perhaps the third, final, and most important reason was that the site it was built on was already sacred to the Egyptian people. The Egyptians were incredibly religious. They had gods and goddesses for every part of life. They also believed that these gods and goddesses took on forms in the material world. Whether it would be in a storm, an animal, or even a person, the Egyptians believed that the gods and goddesses were next to them throughout each and every day. Because of this, they had temples all throughout their kingdom. A common practice and belief in ancient Egypt was that the pharaohs themselves were gods in human form. This only added to the intensity of the religious aspect of Egyptian society. For Ramses II, he used this belief and custom to help increase his public image. Pharaohs would often build temples or set up sacred sites dedicated to the worship of themselves. This seems very narcissistic through our modern eyes, but this was the custom and practice for thousands of years in the ancient world. Essentially, every kingdom in every corner of the world did this. It was just an irreplaceable part of the ancient world. But Ramses II took this to a whole new level with the construction of Abu Simbel. His design was truly revolutionary in the ancient world, but we'll get to that in just a moment. The Abu Simbel temple complex has two main temples. While Ramses II dedicated both of them to several Egyptian gods, he also dedicated the larger one to himself. By doing this, Ramses II was reinforcing the idea that he was a god in human form. He added to the deification of himself by choosing a spot already sacred to the Egyptians to build Abu Simbel. But who he dedicated the second temple to was truly unique. He dedicated the second, smaller temple to his favorite wife and queen, Nefertari. Now, there had been a few queens in Egyptian past to have public works dedicated to them or named after them, but a temple of this magnitude dedicated to a woman was almost unheard of in the ancient world. We'll discuss this further here in just a few minutes. The two temples at Abu Simbel are named the Great Temple and the Lesser Temple. Now, these names do not mean anything about either the two temples as far as the construction, detail, or beauty. It is simply because the Great Temple is larger than the Lesser Temple. And who knows, maybe at the end of this episode you'll have an opinion that the Lesser Temple is actually more impressive than the Great Temple. I have photos of both temples on the show's website at 21wonderspodcast.com. Be sure to go check them out. But the pictures can't do them justice. Both of the temples at Abu Simbel are some of the most exquisitely carved structures in history. To carve an entire building out of live rock is no easy task, and the fact that both are still standing is a testament to the skill of the carvers. Their size is also mind-blowing. The Great Temple is 98 feet or 30 meters high, 
and 115 feet or 35 meters long. The lesser temple is 40 feet or 12 meters high and 92 feet or 28 meters long. Now these sizes might not seem that large, but these entire structures were carved out of live rock. And yet as impressive as the size of the temples is, it is the colossal statues guarding the entrances to both temples which elevates Abu Simbel from mere temples to the status of wonder. There are four statues guarding the entrance to the Great Temple and six statues guarding the entrance to the Lesser Temple. The four statues guarding the entrance to the Great Temple are a massive 65 feet or 20 meters tall. These identical statues depict Ramses II seated. The seated position emulates that Ramses II was a powerful ruler. He is calm, his kingdom is secure, and he can focus on establishing his legacy in the annals of Egyptian history. He was in complete control of the entire Egyptian empire. These statues are beyond impressive, not just for their sheer size, but also for their lifelike appearance. Four identical statues carved from a single cliff face must have taken extreme care. There was no room for error. But the Egyptians were masters of stonework, and no mistakes were made. Even if you go to see these statues today or look at the pictures up on the website, more than 3,000 years after their construction, the detail is astounding. At Ramses's feet, there are smaller statues of his enemies. Hittites, Nubians, and Libyans are being depicted as being under the pharaoh's feet, thus further implying the dominance of his reign in the region. These statues are larger than life as well, but obviously substantially smaller than the statues of Ramses II. Above the doorway, between two of the statues, there is a carving to the sun god Ra, who was one of the chief Egyptian gods. This carving is perhaps the most important part of the message that Ramses was trying to convey to the Egyptian people. Not only is the sun god in the center, but it also has the goddess of peace and justice, Ma'at, on one side, and the Yushur, a staff-like symbol associated with the Egyptian pharaohs. Ramses II had these specific carvings put there because they stated to the people what he wanted them to believe about his throne. This combination of carvings and symbols said that he was sent by the sun god to rule Egypt with peace and justice. This type of quote-unquote naming the throne was fairly common as pharaohs would use symbols and gods to help solidify their throne and whatever decisions they made. Finally, below Ramses' feet, there are more statues of the sun god Ra, thus reinforcing the idea of Ramses II as the chosen ruler of Egypt. In addition to all this, there are carvings of plants and fruits that are decorating the bases of all the statues. It was almost like Ramses II looked at the great temple as the entrance was nearing its completion and said, spice it up, it looks bland. If you thought the exterior of the great temple was impressive, just wait. In traditional Egyptian fashion, no matter how impressive the exterior was, it was the interior that really stole the show. Passing between the statues and entering the great temple, there is a large triangular atrium with large columns holding up the roof. 
The entire interior, the walls and the columns, are covered with reliefs. Reliefs are a combination of writings, drawings, and carvings that tell stories. Pictures would be placed in sequences to show what happened or what someone was doing, and the writings or a bunch of smaller drawings or carvings would fill in the gaps. The interior of the great temple of Abu Simbel has hundreds of reliefs. On these columns, Ramses II is disguised as one of ancient Egypt's most important gods, Osiris. With these images, almost the first thing you see when you walk into the great temple, Ramses II was only further solidifying his claim as a deity. The reliefs on the walls are as detailed and intricate as any story you could read today. But by far, the biggest section of reliefs tell one of the most famous tales of the ancient world. The account of the Battle of Kadesh. Now, we will not take the time to unpack the Battle of Kadesh in this episode. The Battle of Kadesh was one of the most important battles in all of history, and it deserves to be analyzed properly. However, it will take just about a full episode to cover this battle, and I think it's important that we do that in order to provide some context. So we'll pass over the Battle of Kadesh here, but we will cover it in a future episode. Further into the Great Temple, there is perhaps the most impressive aspect of the entire temple complex. Beyond the atrium, there is a smaller, more intimate room. This room was the main worship room in the temple, where priests would officiate, monitor, and participate in sacrifices and worship to the gods presented there. In this main worship room, there were statues of Ramses II, along with statues to the gods Amun, Ra, and Ptah, one of the gods of death and darkness. Now, you might think that these statues would be massive, colossi like the statues guarding the entrance to the temple, but this is not the case. What makes this room the most impressive part of Abu Simbel is truly remarkable and demonstrates the sheer skill of the Egyptian workers as well as their understanding of the universe. The inner worship room of the Great Temple was designed and carved in such a way that twice a year, on February 21st and October 21st, rays of the rising sun would illuminate the statues of Ramses II, Amun, and Ra. However, the statue of Ptah would remain in the shadows. To orientate the temple in this way from live stone is absolutely remarkable. Now why those two dates, no one really knows. Historians and scholars believe that those dates correspond with the birth of Ramses II and perhaps his coronation as Pharaoh. It is believed that there would have been great festivals on those days at Abu Simbel. Celebrations of their Pharaoh's ascension from man to deity. But whatever the reasons for the choosing of those two dates, the architectural feat that is this inner room is awesome. The Egyptians were, in my opinion, the greatest architects of all time. I mean, we are going to spend more time in Egypt here on the show than anywhere else in the ancient world. But this room not only shows an advanced knowledge of architecture, but also of astronomy and geometry. They had to know the exact movements of the sun and the earth for each day of the year in order to align the temple with the rising sun. It is this small yet massively impressive detail which confirms Abu Simbel as a wonder of the ancient world. So that is the great temple. Now on to the lesser temple, 
Similarly to the Great Temple, the Lesser Temple was dedicated to both a person and a god, thus symbolizing their similarity. The Lesser Temple, as previously mentioned, was dedicated to Ramses' favorite queen and wife, Nefertati. The deity that the Lesser Temple was dedicated to was the local goddess of love, beauty, and motherhood, Hathor. The Lesser Temple was also set up in a very similar fashion to the Great Temple. Magnificent statues guarding the entrance, a large atrium covered in reliefs, and an inner worship room. And similarly to the Great Temple, a majority of the reliefs and carvings were of whom the temple was dedicated to. Ramses II isn't very prominent here. Nefertati gets the spotlight in the Lesser Temple. As impressive as the carvings and statues guarding the Great Temple are, it is perhaps the statues here at the Lesser Temple which are more impressive. While not as big as the statues at the Great Temple, there are more of them. There are six statues, four of Ramses and two of Nefertati, that stand guard outside the Lesser Temple. With these statues, Ramses did something completely unprecedented in the ancient world. The statues of Nefertati are the exact same size as those of Ramses II. Now in the ancient world, and particularly in statues, size was everything. The bigger the statue, the more important the person. So for a queen to be the exact same size as a king was truly remarkable. In this way, Ramses II was saying that his wife was equal to himself, and not just as a ruler of Egypt, but also as a deity. Women were never viewed in this fashion. Women, particularly in the royal court, were viewed as there mostly to provide sons to continue royal bloodlines. But Ramses II clearly saw Nefertati differently. He understood that women were just as important as men, and both are capable of great things. And he chose to honor her in a way that almost no other ancient woman received. Now due to the smaller nature of the lesser temple, all six statues are about half the size of the statues of the greater temple. Despite that, they are still a massive 32 feet or 10 meters tall. Next to the statues of Ramses and Nefertati are smaller statues of their children. Also highly unusual for ancient times, the princesses are taller than the princes. Again, with size meaning importance, this showed that Ramses II was able to see beyond the stigmas of the ancient world. He truly loved his wife and daughters. Not saying he didn't love his sons, but he chose to honor his wife and daughters because he loved them. Now this was uncommon in the ancient world as most marriages, particularly marriages of power, were of convenience or of making alliances. Love rarely had anything to do with it. But for Ramses and Nefertati, it seems safe to think that this was one of the few exceptions. And this love manifested itself in one of the few public buildings in not just the ancient world, but the entirety of history that depicted women as equal to or even as superior to men. Passing between the six statues and entering the lesser temple, there is its atrium. Its interior is just as beautiful as that of the great temple. The walls and pillars holding up the ceiling tell stories of Nefertati and show her with Hathor and Isis, the chief goddess of Egypt. 
In one relief, Isis is crowning Nefertari queen. In another, Ramses and Nefertari are depicted as making offerings to the gods. There are also carvings and reliefs of their children. And exactly like they are out front, the carvings and reliefs of their daughters are bigger than those of their sons. At the back of the lesser temple is the main worship room. There are, however, no statues in this worship room like there are in the great temple. No one says to sure why this is the case. However, it is not too far a stretch to believe that, in correlation with the rest of the lesser temple, that it was strictly priestesses who were in charge of the worship in the lesser temple. Now, while priestesses were not uncommon in the ancient world, having only priestesses would have been very uncommon. There's no historical evidence of this. However, I think it would have most likely have been the case. It certainly is plausible considering the way the rest of the lesser temple was designed. Either way, the temple complex of Abu Simbel is an architectural masterpiece. Carved from living rock, it remains one of, if not the greatest, carved structures still standing in the world today. The greater temple and the lesser temple of Abu Simbel are not only glorious, beautiful, and awe-inspiring in their construction, but are also revolutionary and sacred in the ancient world. And we should still hold Abu Simbel in that light today, the same way the Egyptians would have seen it, upon its completion and unveiling. Next week, we will take a look at what happened to Abu Simbel once it was finished. We will see how long it remained relevant before falling into a little bit of obscurity. But history would not swallow Abu Simbel whole. It would eventually be rediscovered and marveled at once again. And finally, we will take a look at the massive government project that saved this priceless piece of ancient history from modern encroachment, thus saving the fate of the first of our 21 wonders. Oh,